Hey guys, this is a special episode of This is Joy and Claire. I have been spending the last couple of days stringing together your voice memos about your experience with COVID. Now, I know that you guys love to hear Claire and I talk, and we've been doing it for eight years. <laughs> so we wanted to really hear from our community about the experience you are having over the past year with COVID. Now, I know that some of you may be like, wow, we've been talking about COVID. I don't want to listen to anything about COVID, but hear me out. When I was listening to these voice memos, all I could think of was we have the most amazing community. And I was just so in awe of everybody, everybody's resilience and everybody's ability to just push through the struggles that they're going through. Anytime I have a doubt that people are supporting this community or supporting this show, I am just so inspired by your emails and your voice memos, and this was no exception. Listening to the voice memos as I was editing them together, I was just like, wow, this is really what our podcast has been about. And I felt less alone listening to your voices. I felt like I had a better feeling of what was going on across all corners of the world. And it just made me feel so much closer to this community. And I know that we say that a lot, but it really is the essence of why we do this podcast is because of you and because we've met such amazing people. So I hope you get something out of everybody's story. It truly is something that I didn't expect when I was listening to all the voice memos was like, wow, it's just, you know what, we need to feel more close. We need to feel closer to people right now. We have so much division. There's so many heated discussions and arguments and right or wrongs and wanting to just be angry at one another that rarely do we get the opportunity to just listen to people. And I think that's what this episode is, is just listening to other viewpoints and perspectives. And I encourage you as you're listening to this to keep an open mind and to not shut it off because it's not Joy and Claire the entire time is to just listen to other people and have compassion in your heart. And that's what I hope for for this episode. So without further ado, here's you, the community. Hey, Joy and Claire. This is Joy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, the, the other Joy or the other other Joy. I work as a psychologist for a health system out here in Pennsylvania called UPMC and really lucky to be working with vaccine clinics for underserved communities. We're seeing a, an increase in or a decrease in people getting vaccinated each day in part because of vaccine hesitancy. And, you know, just a note about some of what I'm seeing and also some things for us to think about who want to encourage loved ones to get vaccinated. You know, it's common for people to feel anxious about new treatments. And this is a really new treatment. Uh, and even though, you know, I think that the science is really good. Not everyone has access to the same kinds of information. And so I think that I've just been trying to sit with people both in my work and in my personal life to answer questions, tell them why I got vaccinated and keep underscoring that it's ultimately their choice, that no one is forcing this. You know, and I think for the most part, for most of us in the United States, that is the truth. And I think that as we sort of think about this and continue to support people, I think we're going to need to, people in, in healthcare need to be more nimble and think about how we can meet different communities where they are in this journey so that, you know, we can ultimately get to uh, herd immunity 
which is so important for all of us. And I think especially important for black and brown communities, you know, LGBTQ uh, folks and, you know, all of the other um, underserved communities that we are seeing impacted at a, at a heightened degree by COVID. So uh, for all of us out there in healthcare, keep up the good fight. And for all of the rest of you out there, thanks for all the ways you've supported us. And hopefully very soon we'll be coming out of the other end of this. Bye y'all. Hi, Joy and Claire. My 2020 was insane. In summer 2019, we moved to China with our infant daughter for my husband who was studying at a Chinese university. In December 2019, we heard about some viral pneumonia spreading in Wuhan. We kept our eye on the news as we left for our planned 18-day vacation to Southeast Asia in mid-January 2020. By the end of our trip, the COVID situation was worsening exponentially in mainland China, and we found out we could not return to China and were evacuated to the U.S., our planned trip turned turned into a 30-day, three-country, multiple-city trip as we planned our next steps. Seven months into evacuation, we found out we could not return and had to move elsewhere. We never returned home, and it still feels so weird not getting the opportunity to, for closure since we were just leaving for a small trip with two carry-on bags. Hey, Joy and Claire. It's EJ here. I'm currently living and working in Houston at a nonprofit that does disaster recovery construction. Um, in September of 2020, part of my job was to go to Southwest Louisiana and help people recover after Hurricane Laura and then eventually Hurricane Delta uh, hit that area. This was still in the height of the pandemic and my company was very mindful of the fact that our small team of eight would need safe housing and we would essentially be staying with each other and working with each other 24-7. For my team, we were really excited to get in the field and, and help people. Um, however, it was often scary at some points because we were the only people wearing masks in a lot of these small towns. Now, understandably, most of these people had just lost their homes, had no water, had no power, so a pandemic was was the least of their worries at this point. And we, knowing this, did our best to just socially distance and wear our masks, keeping in mind that if one of our team members got COVID, we, we all would, and there was no way to avoid that. So safety was at the forefront of our mind. For us, the most frustrating thing was that the church that we were staying in had no mask mandates. Don't get me wrong, we were grateful that they were letting us stay and that they had power and they had water, but they were functioning at full capacity, potlucks, potluck dinners every Wednesday and multiple services on Sunday, and maybe 10% of their 300 plus congregation would wear masks. It was hard for us because we spent a lot of our very minimal free time at that church. Um, and it was hard to come back from 10 plus hour days of both physically and emotionally taxing work to continue being worried about getting COVID-19 in the place that we were staying. So all we could do was just keep wearing our masks and we would leave on Wednesdays to avoid the potluckers, but that's all we could do. Anyway, looking forward to hearing what other people have to say. Hey, Joy and Claire. Um, I just thought I would send in um, a little voice note about what my experience has been like with COVID so far. Um, I'm a bit of a gabber, so I'm going to try to keep this short. Um, I live in Ontario, Canada, in a small town, and um, we are in our third lockdown stay-at-home order here. Um, today is um, April 22nd or something, and this is going to go till May 20th of 2021. So, um, 
yeah, we can't really go anywhere. We're not really supposed to see anyone. Um, playgrounds are still open, which is awesome because I have two little kids and I'm 33 weeks pregnant with my third. And getting through the day is just rough if I can't get their energy out. So that's been great. And um, because I'm from a small town, I know the little hidden parks where there's like hardly any people, if any people. So I feel pretty safe doing that. But yeah, the rest of the province is just crazy. Our, our daily caseload is over 4,000 cases a day. It's mainly the main cities, the big cities around here. So we're about an hour and a half, two hours from Toronto. Um, so that's that's where a lot of those numbers come from. Um, but yeah, the entire province is on lockdown. Our vaccines rollout is incredibly slow. Um, so it's just been tough. Um, it's been tough to see the rest of the world kind of open up and we're still here in a lockdown. Um, my personal, we actually did get COVID back in December. Um, we had very, very mild symptoms, um, which we were very lucky for. But then three months later, we developed a very bizarre, um, thing where food now tastes absolutely horrid to us. So we have a long list of food. Um, from meat to anything with a trace of garlic, onions, tomatoes, eggs, random fruits and vegetables, most things cooked. Like, it's just, it's bizarre. It's long. It's making life very, very difficult. Um, and it's a thing. It's called parosmia. It was a thing before COVID. Um, but we've kind of since researched and learned that a lot of people who had COVID, particularly if their scent was affected in any way, are developing this pretty horrible thing and it just makes life really really hard um to figure out what to eat to yeah to with this horrible horrible taste like we cannot eat the thing like it's it's horrible some people just power through it and I don't know how they do it because it's like we're running to the bathroom to throw up like it's just awful so that was kind of weird and really really awful but other than that we were fine um I'd say the biggest challenge I found with COVID um Luckily, we were very blessed to be in a good position. My oldest is only like three, so he's not going to school for another two years. My husband is a feed truck delivery driver, so he had to keep working through the whole thing. Um, so he never lost his job. Um, the hardest thing has been to navigate is difference in opinions um, with our parents. So both of our parents live really close um, to us and we would have, the kids would have seen them a lot. Um, and it's just been hard to navigate the two extremes. His parents are on one end of the extreme where they just don't seem to care at all. Everything is a conspiracy. <laughs> they don't want to get vaccinated just based off of conspiracies. So it's not a well-educated thing, but they're just, yeah, kind of like, oh, well, if it, you know, do you even know anyone who's died? And like, is this even, so yeah, they just, they see whoever they want and um, don't really listen to the rules. And then my my mom is a bit more. Um, she like hasn't left her house in a year. <laughs> um, she does come and see me and helps it with the kids as long as we don't see anyone. So back when things were kind of like opened up, it was just hard to, to navigate that because we felt like doing some outdoor distance hangouts with the kids was okay. And then they didn't want to come help. Um, at all if we were doing that. So it's just hard to navigate that um, when I don't have any any childcare really. And then um, I have like tons of appointments with my pregnancy, especially because we had COVID, they want to be extra careful. So just to navigate like not having 
like I need someone to watch my kids. We don't want it to be my husband's parents because we don't want to get sick again. And then we, so we just need to be very tight for my family. Um, luckily they're okay now if I go like out to a park as long as it's like not busy um, and we can be distanced which is totally fair but yeah it's just been hard to balance those two sides because right now we do not see my husband's family because of their kind of views and I think for the most part they understand but I do think they're kind of like you know just think we're kind of being too strict which I don't really care about because I I don't want to risk my baby's health or our health again but yeah I would just say that's been a hard challenge and it's really made me think about you know you kind of have to you kind of have to take a step back and try to think where people are coming from and why I'm trying my best to urge them to educate themselves and not just listen to uneducated friends and videos that they come across and to really dig in to see where those videos are coming from and like just to try to be a bit more but they're just never been like that they don't really seek out information about things which is just hard to for me to handle because I am the opposite um, but yeah, I would just, and it also, it's made me think about people within their own little family units. Like, you know, if their husband or their wife are in disagreement and how that would work, like you just kind of think everyone is on the same page. And then the more I've realized through this is like talking with people is people are really, really not on the same page. And everyone thinks that their way is the best way. And everyone thinks that they're totally valid in the way they're thinking. And, and it's just hard. It's, it's a lot of conversations, it's a lot of hard conversations and, um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I'm hopeful that maybe we can get out of this lockdown soon um, and get some more people vaccinated. That would be great, but we'll see. Um, thanks a lot. Sorry this was so long. <laughs> Bye. Hi, Joy and Claire. I realized that I've been listening to you guys for like six years now, basically since right after moving to Spain. So I'm from California. I live in Barcelona. And the way that the pandemic was handled here was interesting. We were in a complete like 100% lockdown for I think it ended up being six weeks um, starting in March of last year. So we weren't allowed to do any exercise outside. We weren't allowed to leave our houses unless it was for grocery shopping basically. And if you walk the dog, which unfortunately I did not have a dog to walk until after the pan or until after the lockdown. And so we spent quite a long time literally just in our houses. And then the and then last summer they started to kind of open things up and southern european summer is like very exciting. Everybody takes vacation at the same time. Um it's this like really big deal and so they kind of opened things up and started to relax um the restrictions and that backfired numbers went way back up and so we have been sort of bouncing in and out of restrictions for now like almost a year over a year about 14 months we've been in and out of restrictions currently we can't leave our homes between the hour of 10 p.m and 6 a.m uh right now in barcelona you can't leave barcelona city they opened it back up numbers went up close it back down it's illegal to not wear a mask outside although here people tend to smoke more than they do in the states and so you see people smoking and they have their you know their mask off um and then the typical problem of people not wearing their masks correctly and i think currently we're allowed to meet there's like a max of six in a group 
so yeah, it's been hard. It feels a little bit weird to go back to quote unquote normal life. I mean, there is, this is the new normal, right? This is just what we have. Anyways, that's kind of what's been going on in Spain. Hi, Joy and Claire. This is Marlies from Belgium with COVID news from Belgium. So um, thinking about our government, I feel like they took it pretty seriously from the beginning. We had a very strict lockdown in, well, starting last uh, year's March. I think more strict than our neighboring countries. We had a curfew. We had everything non-essential closed. And then gradually near the summer, uh, things started to open back up a few times the numbers got bad again, so things had to close again and could open back up. It went back and forth a few times. And then in end of October, things got so bad again. We were the worst in all of Europe. So we entered a second big lockdown again with a curfew, again with everything closing. So that's where we still are right now. Um, they're now saying that maybe in June we will be able to reopen restaurants and gyms again, but I don't know. And end of April, probably we'll be able to have outdoor group classes again, because I work in a gym. So that's, of course, where I'm focusing up right now. But end of April, outdoor group classes. Fingers crossed. We'll see. But what I actually wanted to talk about, um, that's the thing that's typical in Belgium, is how we like to just... Be very specific in stupid little rules. Uh, for example, in the first lockdown, you were only allowed to go outside of the house for very necessary things and also to work out. But those work hours were very, very specified. So you were only allowed to do walking, biking or running. Those were the three options. And if you were doing anything else you could get fined. So for example, if you wanted to do some air squats, I don't know, or shoot some balls through a hoop, also not allowed, you could get fined. Also, as you know, running is hard. I'm a very um, tired person. And if you maybe wanted to take a break from running and rest on a bench, that was also not allowed because you were only <laughs> allowed to be outside, either working out or going to a very necessary thing. So <laughs> you were not allowed to sit on a bench. And then one of the best rules, I think, um, was last Christmas. So um, in the second lockdown, we were actually uh, allowed to have one other person uh, invited in the house. And then for Christmas, uh, the government allowed us, for people who had a garden at least, to invite three people over into your house. Well, into your garden, not into your house. Because the joke was, well, it's not a joke, it was an actual rule, that only the one contact that was allowed in your house, the cuddle contact, as we say, we love a good alliteration, so that only that one contact, that one person was allowed to use the bathroom on Christmas. The other two, um, I guess, had to do it outside. Yeah, it was an official rule. It was officially communicated from the government. Only in Belgium. Well, other side of the of the coin uh, in Belgium is that we had a very, very good system of temporary unemployment from the beginning. So even though I've barely worked this year, I got um, every month at least 70% of my, of my normal uh, wage. So that's pretty nice. And it was all very easy, very, very accessible. So yeah, can't complain uh, what they did there. Hi, Joe and Claire. This is Maddie, and I'm calling from Singapore. My husband and I moved to Singapore from Philadelphia in April 2019. 
And it's super hard to compare Singapore and how they've handled the pandemic to the U.S. because Singapore is so different. Uh, Singapore is a really small city-state. It's only about the quarter size of Rhode Island, and it's on the equator in Southeast Asia. The city is known for being really technological and also very safe and very heavy in fining people for various offenses. Um, but the country itself is just so different. So today and throughout most of the pandemic, I've felt really safe, which is weird to say. As early as February of last year, we saw contact tracing apps mandated everywhere where you have to check in and out, and then they use that for um, contact tracing and also temperature screenings. Masks became required by law in mid-March, and all of that is still in place today. In April and May of last year, we had a really strict lockdown, which they called a circuit breaker, which is great branding, I must say. Um, and during circuit breaker, you couldn't visit anyone outside of your household, not outside, not in your own house, not at all. All businesses were also mandated to close during this time. So it was really strange. Um, but after that, in June, schools were able to open and then businesses and shops and attractions. So basically since June, life has been pretty normal here. Today, I sometimes feel that I'm living within castle walls, so life in Singapore feels pretty normal and safe, but internationally, travel is highly restricted, which has been a key point in Singapore being able to control COVID. So it's been a bonkers year, really, living a world away from family through this, but we're really hopeful that things will get better soon. They're starting to vaccinate in Singapore as well, so... Hopeful that news is good in the next uh, coming days and months. Thanks. Hey, Joy and Claire, this is Jackie. I am currently living on the New Hampshire seacoast, but I sadly moved here from Denver, which I miss dearly, um, back in October of 2020. And I've actually had the amazing opportunity to house sit and dog sit here and have been able to save money while continuing continuing to work remotely for the University of Colorado. But pretty soon I'm going to be looking for a new job and I'm hoping to do something remote. I'm a new project manager. I have my PMP certification and I just finished your last, latest episode and I know you said we could reach out if we are looking for a job. So I just want to throw that out there and just, you know, mention more about my COVID experience. I feel extremely lucky to have had this opportunity to house and dog sit for this long in a beautiful area. I'm right on the beach. I mean, it's freezing cold, um, but it's beautiful. And I take my dog that's staying with me as well on daily beach walks. It's amazing, but it's been tough um, moving from Colorado. It's pretty sad. I mean, my family is all out here, which is why I took this opportunity, but it's kind of crazy how much the pandemic has changed our lives and how I would have never had this opportunity, though it's a little bit bittersweet. So anyway, thanks for all you guys do. I've listened for years and you guys are the best. Hi, Joy and Claire. My name's Marcel. I'm calling from Nova Scotia in good old Canada. Uh, I want to tell you about my COVID experience. We shut down mid-March like the rest of the world. Um, no seeing anyone outside of your household. In May, they said you could have one bubble family, so another household that you can hang out with. 
in June, I think it was, they said that we could gather up to 10 people without maintaining social distancing. And restaurants and gyms opened back up in July, I think. We had a pretty decently normal summer. While our province still remains to this date a state of emergency, in the summertime we had what we call the Atlantic Bubble, so the four Atlantic provinces of Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and Newfoundland and Labrador. You could travel with freely within those uh, without having to isolate. Now the bubble is closed due to increased cases in a few of the provinces. Over the summertime, we had zero cases. It's easy because our province is less than a million people, so it's much easier to control. And yeah, it was tough. And we still have measures in place, social distancing, mask wearing. Masks became mandatory, I think, in July. It's been a ride. We are very fortunate. I'm very fortunate as an extrovert who lives alone who cannot work from home. So I was still able to go into work and socialize and see people. But it was tough to spend two months without physical touch, as we all know how important that is. Anyway, hope you have a great day. Oh, also, one last thing. New York Times wrote an article about Halifax, Nova Scotia, how it was the safest place COVID-wise. So you could check that out. It's by a man named Paul. Don't remember his last name. Bye. Hey, Joy and Claire, this is Alyssa, first time caller, long time listener. And I was just calling in to talk about what COVID is like in the greater Chicago area. I live in a suburb of Chicago that is predominantly Hispanic, but my office, my business, I run a uh, therapy practice, is in a high income town just north of us that is predominantly white. So it's been very interesting to see the dramatic difference among people businesses, cultures in response to COVID-19. The town we live in has been very cautious and conservative, but very open because people need to work. People need to go to their jobs. People need to pay their bills. The place where my business is located just three miles north of us is completely shut down. Everyone has pivoted. Everyone's working from home, but pushing really hard for schools to be open because they need their children to continue to get that education. I completely respect both sides, but it's interesting to see how culture, class, color of our skin is really making a huge impact and a huge difference in the way COVID is treated and the luxury of socioeconomic status in relation to this. My town had one of the highest rates of COVID transmission, whereas the town where I work had, you know, less than 100 cases on any given day. So I hope that provides some interesting perspective and love you guys. Hope to meet you sometime when I'm in Colorado, hopefully next summer. Hi, this is Cheryl. I am calling from California. I wanted to give my thoughts about my COVID experience and how my life has changed in this past year. On May 12th of last year, I stopped going into the office and started working from home. It was a big relief to me, and I don't mean to sound um, disrespectful to people's experience in the pandemic, but I was really, really burnt out on just my commute, going into the office. Every day was the same during the week and not having time to myself. So on that note, I've really needed 
to stay home. I live in Silicon Valley. Traffic is awful here. Early on, when we went into a shutdown here in my area, there was no traffic. I was really refreshing. Um, Traffic is back. I'm still working from home. Early on in the pandemic, I remember having a huge fear of just going out into public. And I don't mean walking in my neighborhood. I mean, like going into the stores and, you know, wiping down my stuff. And then like, oh, I touched my credit card and then I put it back in my wallet. And, you know, do I need to wipe it down and just my mom bringing over like all these bleach supplies. And I mean, it was just crazy. You know, I recently got my vaccine. I got the Johnson and Johnson one shot vaccine. And I felt a huge amount of relief, you know, and just I went out to my car and I started crying. I just the stress of the past year, you know, um, I remember, you know, I, I go for walks daily and coming around a corner and there was an old woman and there was like bushes on both sides of me and I couldn't get out of her way. And she literally like went into the bush to not be near me. And it was really just strange to have that kind of reaction to just passing someone by on the sidewalk. You know, one blessing of the shutdown for me has been um, I attend 12 set meetings. I've been clean for almost 29 years. I really struggled to go to meetings. And I know that Meetings are really super important to my recovery. Um, meeting, makers, meeting makers make it. They say it all the time. I have been able to go to at least one or two meetings a day, daily, for months. Anyways, it's still going on here. People are getting vaccinated and things are opening up. Um, I'm really happy for, you know, that there's more jobs and people are able to go to work. And, you know, there's been a lot of businesses that have shut down in my community and just to see the businesses that are still left doing better. You know, I do find that I stay in my house too much. I went looking for my purse yesterday. It's like, where is my purse? You know, things are still strange. I'm looking forward to things opening up. A lot of the companies in the Valley have been um, reevaluating their, you know, everyone has to work, come into the office every day and work. So I'm hopeful that my position will be um, that I'll be able to stay home part of the week and work from home. Um, So that is my experience with COVID. And I love you guys. I love your intelligent conversations about important topics. And I love all the fun stuff I did come to the Colorado trip and met you guys. I was the one who was peeing while I was trying to learning, trying to learn to do the double unders. Joy, if you remember, and look forward to possibly going on this trip that you spoke of that you are planning. Anyways, have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Joy and Claire. It's Allie from California. Um, I've sent you guys voice memos in the past and I just loved that you had a call for voice memos on your latest episode because I feel like I always want to give my I'm like that meme where it's like nobody asked but then you give your opinion anyway but I wanted to give you a little insight into my experience with the pandemic and also I really appreciated your conversation around the vaccine so I guess to um I feel like saying I'm from California gives people kind of maybe like a stereotypical view of what the pandemic was like, because um, as you know, the media has shown, we've had like really, really strict regulation and lockdown and all of that sort of things for like, 
you know, going on a year. Just this week, um, our county uh, moved into like the orange tier, which is like where things can like start opening up um, indoors a little bit more and things like that. So um, it's been really interesting, but I live in a very conservative town in the Central Valley, which is much different than the rest of California or the majority of California, I should say. It's very conservative. And as soon as Governor Newsom came out with uh, kind of the second round of lockdown. So at the beginning, I think how everybody else was, we were all sort of on board playing our part. And then um, after what was it like October, November, December ish, when kind of that second wave hit and we went into the second lockdown, our local sheriff Um, basically came out and said he would not be enforcing any of the governor's regulations. Um, So that kind of left it up to individual businesses and individual organizations as to whether or not they wanted to open or not. So um, it was really interesting in our town because you could kind of see either where people's like political boundaries were um, as far as like businesses and stuff, um, or even like some of them weren't even political, but they're like, if we don't open our business is going to fail. And so it was really interesting, you know, when the rest of the state was locked down and the rest of the country was really locked down, you could go out to eat indoors in a restaurant in full capacity without a mask here. And like, you still kind of had to wear your mask, you know, to get in the door or whatever. And they had signs posted and everything. But once you were in the door, I mean, it was kind of business as usual, which was really interesting. Not everywhere. There were a lot of businesses that were still closed. There were a lot of businesses that did outdoor only or whatever. But um, it was really interesting to see that dynamic. I'm sort of in a weird spot because I'm a Democrat. I'm pretty liberal on the spectrum. Um, But I also like this whole COVID thing has sort of thrown me for a loop because I haven't always like been as extreme as some others on the left with, you know, the lockdown. And so it's been, I feel like I've been in a unique situation to kind of like be on both sides. I'm definitely more liberal and more on the side of like, we should, you know, be wearing masks and be taking things seriously than a lot of people in my town. But I'm also not as far, um, I went to school in New England. I went to college in New England. And so all of my friends still live in like the Boston or New York City area. And they were like very, very, very extreme. So I was sort of in the middle and it made it really interesting. My sister is an ICU nurse here in town. um, And we got hit pretty hard with the second wave. And, you know, it was pretty scary for her. Um, I think just emotionally it was hard on her. But she wasn't necessarily afraid of getting the virus. Um, And this was like before the vaccine, obviously. So she was continuing to work. Um, I am a teacher, so I was continuing to work uh, virtually, like online. But I would also go into my classroom. There was nobody there. But I have a two-year-old at home. So being able to like work out of the house was really helpful. So our mom was both of our babysitters. And we sort of had the discussion with her, like, you know, my sister's going to be at high risk getting the virus and or transmitting it to other people. Like, how comfortable are you? My mom is very, very conservative. So she was sort of, you know, didn't even believe coronavirus was real. So she's like, no, I'm going to babysit for you. You know, we're going to, this virus will go away, whatever. As much as my sister and I were worried about her, she wasn't worried about herself. And we were kind of like, you know, we can't force her to abide by anything. She's not going to allow us to like not let 
her see her grandsons. We continued using her as a babysitter. We continued seeing each other as a family. We weren't seeing many other people outside of our family, um, but we were seeing each other regularly. My sister was going into work. So it was really interesting because our lives sort of continued on. My husband and I were, you know, our work lives were very different, but like the rest of our family was sort of continuing on. Long story, even longer, uh, (laughs) we all ended up getting covid in January. We assume it came from my sister. She was really, you know, the only one having contact with people on the outside that, uh, like, that was high risk. And um, so we all got it. All of us, the our kids, every single one of us tested positive. And luckily, it wasn't that bad. My mom got pretty sick for about a week. None of the rest of us really got very sick at all um, or really had any other symptoms. And so then we recovered and, you know, went back to what we had been doing originally and then the vaccine came around and this became kind of a weird, like like Claire was saying, and I really appreciated her talking about it. It's like weirdly controversial. I would never say that I'm like an anti-vaxxer by any means. Uh, my kid is pretty much fully vaccinated. However, I am a very big proponent on informed consent and I spent a lot of time researching the childhood vaccines and we opted out of some of them and we delayed some of them. But things like that, I I am a big proponent of informed consent. So when the COVID vaccine came along, my immediate reaction was I wouldn't get it because we already had it. You know, we've all had antibody tests that we've tested positive for. And so kind of our whole family was like, there's no need for us to get it. But having that standpoint with my my liberal friends has been very controversial. Like I have been made to feel like I'm responsible for the death of millions of people because I'm choosing not to get the vaccine at least right now. And I've said, I'm not going to put up a fight about it. If it becomes a thing for my employment or whatever, I will get it. Basically, I would like, I would like to wait and see. And, um, I'm not anti-vax. I think, you know, I believe in science and I think it's really important, but I also, feel like it's my body and the fact that we've already had it I feel like I'm not going out and spreading it to people I'm also not seeing people who aren't vaccinated or who haven't already had it it's just been a very very weird and contentious year with how people approach COVID in general especially in my town especially with my you know political leanings or whatever I felt very like torn and divided and very unsure Um, as much as I like wanted to take COVID seriously and have taken it really seriously. I think, you know, I followed all the rules and everything. I also feel really strongly about the negative impact. I feel like there could have been more of a middle ground and I don't know what that is. And I don't think there's any country that has successfully done that well, you know, I don't know. There's just, I felt very, very torn this entire year and I appreciate you guys. You know, I know how you guys feel about COVID and taking it seriously. And I know how you guys have talked about vaccines in the past, but I appreciate you opening opening up this conversation because I do feel like I feel like I don't identify with either side and it's still weird to me that there's sides in any of this but I appreciate you acknowledging that you know everybody has different opinions and you're not necessarily you know I don't think that the vaccine is laced with 5g internet or whatever um I'm not a conspiracy theorist I don't think the government's out to get us but at the same time I think that the fear-mongering the unknown of all of it has really played in to heightening the political tensions in all of this so This is a really long voice memo. By no means do you need to include any of this in your podcast. But um, again, I just wanted to share my opinion like that meme where nobody asked and I wanted to tell you anyway. Thanks for doing what you guys do. I love listening. See you next Thursday.
Hi, Joy and Claire. This is Moni, and I am an American international teacher, and I am calling to talk about my experience of the pandemic in China and East Asia last year. I know for a lot of Americans, this really didn't start until March of last year, but for those of us in Asia, uh, especially in China, this started in about December 2019, but really blew up in January 2020. So we've been dealing with this for a little bit longer than the rest of the world. And basically what happened was um, during Lunar New Year, which is the biggest migration of humans every single year, <laughs> we had heard that this started to flare up. Most of us were um, on holiday or visiting family in China. And so my husband and I flew back to China, which is where we were living at the time. Didn't know what we were going to experience. And once we got there, we noticed a lot of the um, shops were closed down and it was really hard to buy masks. You know, we didn't feel comfortable. So we booked a flight um, after returning like the two days later. And basically, as we were in the airport trying to leave China, we saw the flight board and it was literally like a movie. It was everything before us um, read, canceled, 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 canceled. And um, there were really very few flights within China, but much less um, outside of the country internationally. And fortunately, we made our flight and we stayed with some friends in Taiwan um, who are also international teachers abroad as well. And we spent a couple months there kind of waiting things out. And um, Taiwan handled it beautifully, but it doesn't actually get a lot of coverage because of um, the Chinese claim over Taiwan's sovereignty, basically. And um, they actually handled it really well. They tracked us. Um, their CDC um, made sure that we were wearing masks and following protocols and not having symptoms. So they've, they've basically had little to no breakouts since this all began. Anyways, we did decide to return home. And we did that right as Taiwan's borders shut down completely. We arrived back in Hangzhou, China, where we lived. Basically, the day before, the borders completely shut down. And even if you had a visa, um, you would not be allowed back into the country. And once we arrived in China, we actually had to do a home quarantine, which it's not like, you know, people have been referring to the last year. <laughs> um, we had our, t our door sealed and um, we could not leave outside. And the government was actually... Um, keeping tabs on us and making sure that we weren't leaving just because um, China had already gone through their their wave and everyone else had already been locked inside for about three weeks, four weeks. So this was actually just to make sure that everyone was safe and, you know, that we, we weren't infectious and that we weren't going to infect and bring um, COVID to the rest of the population that was pretty much safe. So during this time, um, it was actually really amazing. They had, um, they call them like community helpers and they're people part of the communist party. And um, they, and all in addition to a doctor, keeping tabs on us and monitoring our symptoms twice a day. It was actually really effective. We felt really safe. And um, we even had some COVID symptoms and we reported it and um, the doctors were really helpful and, you know, nothing was alarmist. We weren't taken out of our homes and put in a hospital or anything. And then <laughs> actually at the end of what was supposed to be our 14 day quarantine, they changed the rules last minute and said that everyone needed a PCR and antigen test. And so um, the day we were supposed to be released and have our final medical check, we had to do an extra day and a half longer 
of our quarantine um, because they hadn't had a system set up yet. But we had a full antibody test and COVID test and everything came out negative. And then basically after that, we went back to 100% normal life in China pretty much. And so, yeah, that's actually how China worked out. And we've moved during that time actually after that. And now in Kyrgyzstan where there's basically no controls whatsoever. Anyway, love you guys. Hi, Joy and Claire. This is Mira recording from Japan, and I thought I would share my experience、um, during the pandemic here.、Um, I had actually been reading headlines over Christmas about some virus in China. It happened in Wuhan, where I had actually visited a long time ago, and so I had some connection there.、Um, and I was reading how it was affecting a lot of people and killing even doctors and nurses,、um, but things didn't really get real for me until about January. When it was Lunar New Year.、Um, it's not celebrated here in Japan, but I have a friend living in Hong Kong and it's a two week holiday. And after that, her school closed. They just did not go back to school. And at the same time, I was reading that they had closed the border to China. And that meant that a lot of people who had left China, so a lot of teachers, international school teachers like myself, they were stranded outside of the country. And I actually met somebody who was stuck here. My friend had a, Another friend who was living and working in China,、um, who was staying with them for at least two weeks because she couldn't get back into China.、Um, and come February, we were told that if we were planning to travel, that we should reconsider because of how things were looking with this virus. And it wasn't even a question of like, would you be allowed to leave? But would you be allowed to come back?、Um, and at the end of February, finally, what ended up happening Was that the prime minister ordered all schools to close? And some people say that that was a political move because of the pressure he was getting. And it really did look that way because there absolutely was no plan.、Um, that decision was made on a Thursday night to be put into effect Monday, the following Monday. So we at our school had a day to prepare our students and send them home with whatever we thought that they might need for an indefinite amount of time. And that ended up being all the way up until the end of the school year in June. And it was a bit strange because,、um, not even a week earlier, the head of school had us all make sure that if we were to go online, that we would be prepared at a moment's notice. And there was our moment's notice. But looking back, it didn't seem So strange because he probably was following what was going on in China and in Hong Kong. The prime minister also gave each prefecture the right、uh, to declare a state of emergency. So we were under a state of emergency for a while, and there are restrictions like、um, restaurants. Could only serve takeout and karaoke bars had to close.、Um, but I found out later that those were only strong suggestions. So, whereas in the States and in Europe, where there were like complete lockdowns, for us it was please try and stay home instead. And it was a bit frustrating because it felt like we, the foreigners, were treating The situation very seriously.、Um, we we're trying to stay home as much as possible, stay away from people, including each other.、Um, but meanwhile, here it felt like 
the Japanese public were out living their best lives. Um, this could be for a variety of reasons. Um, they, well, one of the reasons could be where they get their news from, um, mostly from Japanese outlets, and um, they're probably downplaying the seriousness of the situation um, because Japan wanted to host the Olympics and an outbreak could really jeopardize that. And so that affects like the accuracy of the numbers of cases and the depth deaths that were reported. Uh, I'd also been told that there's actually a sense of cultural superiority um, here when Japanese people compare themselves to other Asian nations. Some people have even told me that they don't even count themselves as Asia, just Japan. Um, so since other countries had had epidemics and Japan hasn't until like this pandemic, um, maybe they had a sense of immunity. And also, meanwhile, since other countries like Korea and Taiwan had the experience, they knew what to do to, to limit the spread and they wasted no time, but it felt like here was a complete different story. And it was a bit frustrating because in the media, people would be like, Asia is doing so well. And me and my colleagues would always try and point out to people that we knew, yes, but not Japan. Um, it was a different story here. They really did not have the infrastructure um, to deal with the pandemic. Um, so schools were closed, but that was just a few weeks before their school holidays anyway, because their school year goes from um, April to the following March. And so after the break, they just went back to school because they didn't have the infrastructure to keep everything online. And it was the same for offices. So there was no working from home really at all because offices don't have the infrastructure to support their employees at home. So everyone pretty much went back to work after a few weeks um, after the, uh, the state of emergency was declared. But a positive thing is that there already is a culture of wearing masks here. So unlike in the States, there was no pushback to asking everybody to wear a mask to control the spread of the virus. We did, however, have a shortage of masks and hand sanitizer and hand soap and even toilet paper. That happened here too. Um, luckily, I had just been to Costco before. Everyone panic bought stuff, so I was all set. But of course, the worst part has not being able to travel internationally to see my friends and family. And also, while I'm very happy for everybody who's getting their vaccinations in the States and all the older friends that I have and my parents who are getting vaccinated, the rollout here has been virtually non-existent and it's not anticipated until October that vaccinations will be available to the general public. And so that really bothers me because it's yet another thing that you look at Japan and you would say, oh yeah, they're dealing with it well, but if we're not getting vaccinated at the same rate, then that says something. And one thing I'll always wonder is if things would have been taken more seriously if the Olympics were not supposed to take place in this country. Like, what would this whole experience have looked like if Japan were not interested in saving face to the international community? 
And would there be a difference in the way things were handled? Like what, what would be different if there weren't so much on the line? Anyway, thanks for listening. I love you guys. Bye. So thank you so much to everyone who took the time to make a voice memo. Um, we really tried to put as many voice memos in this episode as we could um, with a variety of different viewpoints and different experiences. And we are always so grateful to you guys for giving us your input, telling us about your experiences, and just being there for one another in our community. And of course, for listening to us <laughs> for the last you know, 14 months as we have all navigated this. And I know I've talked a lot about my experiences throughout the past year, but I think the biggest moment for me that I will always remember is um, probably right around this time last year, or, you know, maybe like in April of last year, when the um, PPE shortage was really bad in Brandon's hospital and he was going to work in like a paint respirator. And we really didn't know when the supplies were going to get better. We really didn't know when that was going to, you know, there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel to have enough supplies that he could really be safe at work. And, you know, I kind of had this feeling like every day he went to work, like, was he going to ever come home again? And we, um, had signed him up for this thing online that was like basically a mask exchange, like an N95 exchange, where you would sign up and say, you know, this is, I'm a nurse and I live at this address. And if anyone out there has an N95, you know, collecting dust in your garage, please send it to me. And one day, a couple of weeks later, like I signed him up for that and kind of never didn't really think anything of it. And, you know, thought we'd just like get something in the mail. If anything, a couple of weeks later, somebody pulled up in front of our house and it was pouring, pouring, pouring rain. And they ran out of their car and dropped this huge trash bag full of N95s on our doorstep and ran back out to their car. And I, they had a mask on and a hat and I never saw their face and they just, you know, waved and kind of acknowledged me as I, I opened the door. And by the time I opened the door, they're already back in their car practically. And I mean, I just filled up with tears and I was like, this, it just, it was so amazing to feel like, you know, people out there cared about the situation. And that was a time when it felt like, I think like for me this past year, the biggest thing that I had to come to terms with was this feeling that like I, before COVID, I sort of imagined that, and sorry if you guys can hear Evie screaming in the background, Brandon's trying to get her to shush, but it's just not really working. <laughs> I kind of had this feeling that like, if something goes wrong, like it's somebody's job in the in this country or in this world, like someone has the job of like figuring out how to handle it. That illusion was really shattered last year when it was like, how do we not even know where the masks are? How do we not even know which hospitals have them and which don't? That really has been the biggest thing for me in the past year is realizing like no one else, there isn't like some, you know, grand committee who has this figured out. And in some countries, obviously they do have that more so than the US did. They were more prepared to have that central logistics. But I had really always assumed that that was just a given and, you know, came to find out that it really wasn't. And so I remember when that happened, when we, you know, somebody's dropped off a big bag of N95s at our house and Brandon was able to take that to work with him. It just felt like, okay, you know, there might not be some room full of people who 
are going to be able to make this happen or, you know, we, we can't rely on the government or, you know, other organizations, but like we can really rely on one another. And that to me was just, I'll always remember that moment for sure. So again, we really, really are grateful for you guys writing in and calling in and sending us your voice memos. And um, yeah, we hope you guys have an awesome week. We will be back next week. We have a few more guests lined up throughout May and June and the rest of the summer. Please remember to find us on Instagram at joy and Claire underscore. You can email us. This is joy and Claire at gmail.com. You can always stream our episodes at joyandclaire.com. I know last week, Spotify and Apple both had updates on their apps, which made it, and of course, it happened on Thursday, it seemed. <laughs> so um, just as a reminder, if for whatever reason, Thursday morning rolls around and you know, you're, it's 4.30 in the morning and you're getting ready to drive to the gym and your new Joy and Claire episode isn't there... Um, you can always go to joyandclaire.com and just stream the episode. We Joy edits these normally on like Monday, Tuesday, and then preloads them. So they publish at more or less m- midnight mountain time every single week, right on Thursday. So if you can't ever find our episode for any reason, always go to joyandclaire.com and it will be there. Well, we hope you have a wonderful week and we will hear from you and talk to you next week. Bye.